0: Morning. Today's passage comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 21 through 33. But whatever anyone else dares boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Thanks, Larry. Good morning.
1: I want to begin this morning with a question. I really want you to consider it And that is, what do you personally take pride in? What achievements do you tend to depend on for your sense of worth? A a sense of personal value, a sense of personal significance. Where do you get your sense of personal glory and accomplishment? Think about that. What do you look to to feel okay about who you are. In the Roman and Greek world in which Paul was writing, living and writing as he wrote to the Corinthians in this book of 2 Corinthians, personal glory, individual glory, was highly exalted. Everyone was seeking some sense of personal glory, value. And everywhere you went... There were these marble statues that were part of the culture as people focused on their achievements and commemorated them through statues, through inscriptions written on stone, through essentially monuments to self. I want to show you a couple of uh, statues that we saw in Corinth. There were many, many more, but it just gives you a sense of what they exalted, what. People looked to These were everywhere. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they could look all around and there were these statues that were monuments to men. Anything stand out about these statues? No heads. What's interesting is that they purposely made many of the statues without heads. And then they would carve someone's face and they would put it on there. But when he fell out of power they would just take off his head and put another one there. We've also, as someone reminded me this morning after first service, they also have many women that have no hair. They could change their hairstyles even. (laughs) So much for eternal glory, right? It didn't last long. I have a picture of one of the heads, Nero, the emperor. I want to show you. Someone else got in the picture. Uh, yeah, which one's Nero here? <laughs> Unfortunately, Tim Coles is traveling. I really wish he were here. But <clears throat> but seriously, they would exchange the heads. It reflects, I think, our human longing for a sense of glory. It drives the human heart. We long to be incorporated into glory, to have a sense of glory. Certainly it was true in the days of the New Testament, but fortunately we're different, right? We don't have statues everywhere. We don't make monuments to ourselves, do we? Or do we? I want to show you a commercial.
0: Simple. You work hard, you create your own luck, and you've got to believe anything is possible. As for all the stuff, that's the upside of only taking two weeks off in August. Nice
1: <laughs> You work hard? you got to believe anything's possible if you just. Trust yourself. We may not have statues on every corner, but what are our monuments? Our cars? Our homes? Etc. As one commentator said about this commercial, you know, as Christians we kind of go, ooh, that's kind of in your face, right? Kind of arrogant. But as one commentator said, I love this commercial, it celebrates Americanism our productivity, our individualism, our self-sufficiency, our profit-seeking, our enjoyment of the material world. Our statues are cars, the latest Cadillac, the buildings, the buildings with our names on them, the parks with our names on them, our children, our children's report cards, Maybe the quilts we made at our last quilting bee. (laughs) I mean, I could go on and on, but there are things that we exalt, our statues, our monuments to our own achievement in our culture just as much as in New Testament times. We have our ways of commemorating our personal achievements, our own glory, And Paul says in this section that we are in in 2 Corinthians that it's true even in the church. The super apostles, those who had become celebrities in the early church, were exalting themselves. They were saying, hey, we're better than Paul. We have more followers than Paul. We're better speakers than Paul. We can command a higher speaker's fee. We drive a better chariot than Paul does. (laughs) They would created a huge buzz. They were celebrities. They were popular. And note, Paul understood that because he came out of that kind of religious life. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a leader, one of the elite, one of the important, one of the popular, one of the celebrities in the early Jewish world. But, you know, that wouldn't happen today among pastors, for example, would it? (laughs) It's interesting when you go to a pastor's conference how there's always this underlying tension of, well, how big is your church? How fast is it growing? How popular is it? Are you on the radio? Have you written books? Are you on TV? And if those questions aren't asked, They're certainly thought about. All of us long for glory. All of us long for a sense of significance, a sense that my life really, really matters. But as fallen human creatures, because from the fall we said, God, you are not going to be God. We will be God. We all tend to look for that glory in the wrong place because of our fallenness our corrupt desires. So Paul in our passage today reverses all that. He turns it upside down. It's totally opposite of how we tend to think in our culture as we think about where you and I as believers, as New Testament Christians are to get our sense of value, of significance, of glory. Pray with me. Lord, as we look into this passage We confess that the world is encroached upon our thinking and we tend to want glory for ourselves. But thank you for this passage, Lord. May you turn our thinking upside down. May you challenge it. May you reorient us to the gospel that we might truly look to the right place, to you, for the glory we long for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First part of our passage today, which I didn't have Larry read, but let me read it to you now, really focuses on the foolishness of even boasting at all. And notice how many times Paul uses that word, boast. Starting in verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. In other words, he's saying, Jesus didn't teach this. I'm playing with you. I'm being sarcastic. I'm playing your game. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Paul uses this word boasting. That, That word for boast means to express pride, to express where you get your sense of personal significance. What gives you a sense of personal meaning? What... What do you personally glory in? That's what the word boast signifies. And Paul in this passage, again, he's being really sarcastic with the Corinthians, but he's saying it's foolish to even boast at all. It's really not what God calls us to do, but you, Corinthians, glory in men. You glory in these super apostles. You exalt them and you say, oh, look at their celebrities. Look how great they are. Look look at their salaries. Look how great speakers they are. And and Paul says, if you're going to glory in that way, then I'm going to twist it and play that game. But you got to realize you are really, really foolish. Because when you live that way and you glory in man, either your own glory or the glory of the super apostles or others, you only set yourself up for problems. It's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for them. When, when we exalt celebrities, we give them power over us and it feeds their pride. It's dangerous for them. And it's also dangerous for us because as Paul says here, when you do that, you set yourself up to be abused by them, to be devoured, to be used to be even struck in the face, he says, by them. And I think that was probably actually happening from the super apostles. They were, as they were exalting these guys as some, something really special, as celebrities, they were taking power over people and they were trying to force them to do what they want. We know that happens, right, in cults and various places. We know the Jim Bakers and the David Koresh's etc., etc., in the world that Jim Jones, etc., who have taken power and abused it, TV evangelists, etc., etc. It's dangerous, Paul says, when we play this game. But you want to play that game? Well, let me kind of twist it and tell you about true Christian boasting then. And essentially what Paul goes on to do is give us his resume. He says, okay... A resume, you put all your strengths, right? So people will be impressed and want to hire you. He says, here's my resume. I have three things on it. The first one is my suffering. My suffering. Here's why you should trust my leadership in Christ. It's because of my suffering. And as you read through this, you see that It's a certain style of writing as he says, Oh, this happened this many times, etc. And Doug Goins describes it this way. In using this list, Paul is deliberately choosing a literary style that was very familiar to his readers. Great Roman political figures used it in describing their own political and military exploits. They very carefully wrote historical records with full statistical detail to put the leader in the best possible light. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, wrote in his autobiography entitled The Acts of Augustus, Twice I received triumphal evasions. Three times I received cural triumphs. Twenty times in one did I receive the appellation of imperator. I don't know what the appellation of imperator is, but apparently it's pretty good. So that's the style that Paul is writing in, but listen to what he exalts rather than the things that the super apostles wanted to brag about. We'll just work through this list, starting at the end of verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So he says, look, I've got the pedigree that the super apostles do. And then he goes on to say, are they servants of Christ? I'm better. <laughs> I'm talking like a madman. In other words, he's saying, I shouldn't even be boasting. I, I'm talking as if insane, like I'm crazy, but I'm playing your game, Corinthians, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. And as he goes on, and we'll work through this, he talks about all these events that happen understand that he talks about shipwrecks, he talks about beatings, he talks about all kinds of things that are not recounted in the book of Acts. In other words, Paul suffered a whole lot more than we see recorded in the book of Acts. He had it rough. goes on to say, Five times they received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. So the Jews had punished him severely with the most extreme punishment. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's the Roman form of punishment, of beating, was with rods. Once I was stoned. We know about that from Acts chapter 14, verse 9, where it says he was in Lystra, and they stoned him to drug him outside of the city, stoned him and left him for dead. But God strengthened him. He walked back in and began sharing the gospel again. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. We know from the book of Acts that at the end of the book of Acts he was shipwrecked. But this was written long before that. In other words, Paul went through a bunch of other shipwrecks that we don't even know about from the book of Acts. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness danger at sea danger from false brothers i kind of get the feeling he was in danger now and then what do you think that word for danger means to be squeezed into such a tight place that it's you have nowhere to turn it's it's terrifying it's difficult in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul says, you want to know what I want to brag about? They brag about on their resume all the great things they've done and the great followers they have. What I will brag about is simply, life's been really hard for me. It's been tough. And it is true that Paul could have avoided most of this, right? You think about it, most of it came through his travels for the gospel. He could have stayed in Jerusalem and just hid out and avoided a lot of the suffering he experienced. But he says, No, I went through deep concern and deep pressure and he says, deep concern for all the churches that he planted and was shepherding. I love personally being part of Cole Community Church and along with the other pastors, we feel a deep concern. We enter into your lives and the struggles you face and there is pressure in that. It's a great and awesome privileged calling that I feel, but But it's a heavy weight. But I look at Paul and he felt that weight, not just for one church, but for many. So Paul says, here's what I'll brag about. Here's what I put on my resume. My life's been a mess. (laughs) And everywhere I go, I get beat up. Life's rough for me. No place is safe. No situation is safe. I experience the fullness of this broken world. Here's my list of achievements. Shipwrecks, pain, struggle. It's tough. What a contrast from the super apostles. They boast in their personal achievements. He boasts in his suffering. That's section one of his resume. Section 2 in verse 30, he just gives us one verse. He just hints at it. He'll expand on it in our passage next week. But the second section of his resume is, oh, and here's my weaknesses. Verse 30, let me read that. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, wait a minute. On a resume, you always put your strengths, right? Right? <laughs> You wait for the interview to have to talk about your weaknesses. But Paul lists them on his resume. He says, "I am weak." It's it's a word that's used for physical sickness for for inadequacy, for just playing weakness. He says, "I I'm not going to boast about my strengths and accomplishments and how great a chariot I have parked in my garage." but I am going to boast about my weaknesses. Now let me just hint, we'll expand on this next week, but let me hint at what I think he's talking about here, what kind of weaknesses he's talking about. I want to highlight three different kinds that Paul talks about elsewhere. One is physical weakness. Paul had bad eyes, we're pretty convinced. He had other physical ailments. He had physical struggles. A weak body. He wasn't impressive looking. Paul says, "I'll boast about that. I get a sense of significance from the fact that I was physically, I am physically, weak." Secondly, I think he boasts about his psychological weaknesses. At the beginning, we saw back in Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse eight, he said, "There was." So much difficulty going on in my life. I despaired even of life, he says. Second Corinthians 1, eight. He's talking about depression. Throwing his hands up, giving up. He was so depressed. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, God opened the door for ministry at Troas, but I was so emotionally in turmoil, I couldn't do the ministry that God had given me. Paul had deep emotional struggles, psychological struggles. I think if he were here today and he was being diagnosed, he'd probably be considered having depression, anxiety disorder, perhaps bipolar. I mean, he struggled in his weakness. He also had spiritual weakness. Remember that wonderful passage in second or in Romans chapter seven where Paul says, I do the very thing I do not wish to do. I, I know the right thing to do. I want to do it, but I fail over and over again. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm lousy at obeying God. That's spiritual weakness. And what Paul's saying here is, I would rather trumpet that, my weaknesses, than try to convince you about some strengths that I have What he wants to emphasize is that in the Christian world, what we boast in is our inadequacy, our inability to pull it off. Why is that so important? Well, as he goes on to say, and I'll just hint at it here, is it's in our weakness that God's power is released. It's because we suffer and because we're weak that his life can flow through us because we're broken of our self-sufficiency and learn to depend on Him and Him alone. So Paul says, Hey, part two of my resume, I'm inadequate, I'm weak, I can't handle life very well at all. Third part of his resume, now that he's been working through it, suffering and weakness, the third part is Failure. (laughs) Failure. Let me read that last few verses, 31 and following again. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aratas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. What is he referring to? Well, it's back in Acts chapter 9, verse 22 and following. And I want to go there because I think it's important to understand what was going on. As Paul, remember, was converted on the road to Damascus. He saw the flash of light. He was blinded, and he went on to Damascus, and the brothers there were kind of concerned about this persecutor of the Christians now saying he's a believer and he wants to come to Christ, but he did, and he immediately began sharing the gospel, and we see this in Acts 9.22. It says, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. In this section of boasting, what is Paul really saying by sharing this example of what happened in Damascus? He had to be let down by a laundry basket, essentially, to save his own life, to save his skin. Well, in the Roman world, in the Roman military, the greatest honor you could have was something called the Corona muralis. Let me read a little bit what N.T. Wright, the commentator, says about this Corona muralis. In the world of ancient Rome, where military might and bravery was regarded as one of the highest of the virtues, the nearest equivalent to the Medal of Honor was the award known as the Corona muralis, or crown of the wall. This Corona muralis, the crown of the wall, was awarded to the soldier who, during the siege, was the first one over the wall. Of course, very often it might be awarded posthumously. The first one over the wall might well not live to tell the tale. <laughs> so, you see, Paul is making a contrast here because the greatest award you could get, the Medal of Honor, was being the first one up on the wall to climb the wall and, and bring on the siege of the city to bring victory. But he's saying, what happened to me was a great failure. In fact, it was the exact opposite. I had to be let down through a window in the wall and run for my life. And we know that Paul, at that point, disappeared into the wilderness for perhaps up to ten years as God began to break him and speak to him. You see, that time in Damascus failed. There wasn't one convert because he was a new believer that was completely dependent on himself. And he had to be broken of that until Barnabas finally went and got him out of the wilderness and brought him to Antioch to begin to minister, not out of his own power, but out of the power of Christ that he had learned to depend on. And Paul says, that's what I will boast about. As one commentator puts it, What a burning humiliation to this dedicated young Christian. Paul had become, quite literally, a basket case. (laughs) How confused and puzzled he must have been as all his dreams of conquest in the name of Jesus were brought to this sudden and degrading halt. How humiliating to be let down over the wall in a basket like a common criminal escaping from the reach of the law. How shameful, how discouraging... Once over the wall, he slips off into the darkness of the night, bewildered, humiliated, and thoroughly discouraged. And yet, it was the beginning for him of real ministry because it broke him of his self sufficiency. And so Paul says, I'm going to put that on my resume. I failed! <laughs> Hallelujah! Because that's where God's glory began to do its work in me. A little over 10 years ago, when we lost our senior pastor here at Cole, the elders asked me to be interim senior pastor. So I thought, okay, I'll do my best. I began overseeing the rest of the other 12 pastors on staff and trying to preach most of the time and do all of this. And as I was seeking to take on more administration and all, I found myself burning out. But I just kept trying and trying and trying, and finally, to her credit, Jeannie, my wife, said, this is not working. You're getting burned out. You're not present with us. It's not working. And so I went to the elders, and I said, I am a failure at this. I cannot do this. I'm not gifted. I'm bad at it. But you know what? It was one of the best things that ever happened to me, and I think to Cole. Because at that point, uh, it, it just made me accept the fact that, yes, I'm limited, I'm inadequate, and I need Jesus like I never knew before. And it was good for Cole because the elders stepped in and said, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have a senior pastor. Maybe we should do a team ministry and the elders should shepherd the body as a whole. And I think it's been a wonderful thing for our body. I will trumpet that. I failed. Thank you, Lord. See, that's Paul's resume. Interesting, huh? I've suffered. (laughs) I'm weak and inadequate. And boy, have I failed. You want to know what achievements a Christian should brag about or what accomplishments? Those things. Why? Because as we'll see next week that it's those very things that release the power of God in us. It's when we get broken of our self-sufficiency, our self-dependency, that Christ's life begins to flow through us in our weakness. As Paul said earlier in this book, we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels, clay pots, weak things. We are weak so that the surpassing greatness of the power might be of Him and not of us. Oh, that we could get this as believers because there's no more important principle in the Christian life than to recognize what's most important. What I bring to the table, what I bring is my own weakness and brokenness and sin. And it's in that that God begins to work and empower us. You see, our glory is a reflected glory. It's not ours. It's His. We are to be like the moon that the light of the sun shines on and then gets reflected so people see it. But it's the light of the sun that's being seen, not ultimately the light of the moon. And if we try to absorb the glory for ourselves and take it for ourselves and build monuments to ourselves, then what happens? We only increase the darkness not the light. We only do harm, not good. So that's Paul's resume. And you think, well, that's Paul. You know, Paul, he suffered a lot. He went through a lot. He's a unique guy. Well, let me ask you this. What would Jesus' resume look like from an earthly point of view? Oh, let me think. Suffering, human weakness, and complete failure, at least from a human point of view. I mean, he didn't get any... Everybody fled. Even his disciples rejected him, denied him. He ends up dying as a common criminal on a cross. Oh, maybe he's calling us to walk in his steps, as Paul did. That's the path to real glory. But let me just say something because I want want to make sure that we get perspective here. You know, Paul's saying any boasting in what we do is dumb anyway. It's foolish. And he's not saying, oh, well, then we should brag as Christians about, oh, I've suffered a lot. Uh, Look at all I went through. Look at how I've served God like he does here. Uh, That's not what he's calling us to. It's not really about us at all, is it? It's just recognizing our weakness so that we will cling to him and so he ultimately will get all the glory. That's why Paul says a little earlier in this chapter, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord ultimately, not in us. So I go back to my original question. What do you in your own heart of hearts take pride in? What do you look to for a sense of your own significance and value? What monuments does your life reflect? What are you trying to build? What do you take glory in? I think this is a great encouragement for us to find glory in our weakness so that His glory his life might shine through us let's pray well Lord this really does turn our world upside down we confess that we too often try to get glory for ourselves and not for you thank you for this reminder that it's our weakness that allows your glory to shine through us may we Be willing to embrace our weakness, as Paul does. That these momentary light afflictions might produce in us an eternal weight of glory that is your life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.